0: What's up everyone, this is Skylar Butts, and today on the podcast I have Luke Campbell. Luke is the most decorated D3 track and field athlete of all time with 11 NCAA titles to his name. After wrapping up his incredible career at Salisbury University, he now trains and represents Germany in the 400 meter hurdles and is working towards his goal of making the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Luke has a really cool story that really highlights the importance of finding the right environment for you to grow, and having great coaches to teach you valuable mindset lessons along the way. This is Luke Campbell's D3 to Pro Story. Hey, Luke, how are you doing today? Doing well, Scott. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. This is going to be a really fun time for me. I've been doing my research, and I guess a good place to start is always at the beginning. And two quotes that kind of stuck, stuck out to me would be that you... S- were quoted in a article saying, "I saw myself as a regular kid with regular abilities," and the other one was that you never touched a weight before arriving at Salisbury, and I just got me so curious about how you grew up and your your high school career. So, if you could talk about that and how you ultimately chose D three, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, so I come from Brunswick, well, Maryland. That's kind of where I grew up. And basically, to kind of give you a picture of it, the, the football stadium is surrounded by a cornfield. Also, I wouldn't say surrounded. It's kind of across the way, across from the stadium, is um, a giant cornfield. Either side, you don't feel that like much. Um, so it's kind of an isolated place. And it's kind of a, you know, I think for me, it was a good starting area because you kind of had a little mixture of the agriculture um, and being on the countryside, which kind of shaped me, so to speak. But you also had uh frederick maryland which is you know a pretty a relatively big city in maryland and that was only about 15 minutes away so you kind of have a mixture of different cultures so to speak different lifestyles and that was a good place to to raise children so to speak as far as sports go i was always active even as a kid i kind of you know was always the last one running around even in my neighborhood we would always be playing games until 12 o'clock at night or until we had to go back uh, inside so it was filled with athletics, and I think that's kind of the person that I grew up to be. I've always loved to you know, play different games with my friends. And even in sports in high school, I always kind of gravitated towards different sports and not really choosing the same ones that kind of you know, rubbed off of one another, so to speak. So I played soccer, I played basketball, and I did track. Um, and out of the three, I would basically say that soccer was kind of the uh, my bread and butter. It was the one that was uh, the most exciting to me. It was the most fun. And I was probably the most successful in soccer, I would say. But yeah, I think track took a little while for me to come around to because I didn't do it my freshman year because uh, the coach at the time, Coach Lawson, who was also the uh, the cop, uh, kind of around town, and everyone uh, kind of knew when we raced against him earlier in middle school track field, So he kind of knew who I was and wanted me to try out for the track and field team in high school. But the first year, my freshman year, I didn't do it. And eventually, I just came around to my sophomore year. I didn't have anything else to do during that period of time, and I loved racing as well, especially when I was a little kid. So it kind of it kind of clicked really early on, That it was something that really interested me, and then something that I was going to continue to do throughout high school.
0: So what happened to soccer? It just fell by the wayside? So yeah,
1: pretty much the same with basketball. There were things that really interested me, and um, I did have a great time uh, playing those sports, but I kind of knew, also from, a, from early on, from an early sp- uh, standpoint, that it wasn't going to be the sport that I really that I took to college because college was also in the front of my mind. I definitely wanted to go and further my education, and I also wanted to play uh, a sport simultaneously. And with that said, you know, I looked at the options, and I went to other schools. And it was more so me looking for other schools, and schools not coming to me. Just like from that quote, I was kind of an average kid. I didn't have anything spectacular about me. I always considered myself fast to a degree, but there's also always someone else that was faster to me, even in my high school, which was know consisted of about two hundred and forty or two hundred and fifty seniors, so it was a relatively small high school and um just something that you know I wanted to continue to do it made a lot of fun for me and as I got to my senior year, it's kind of when I started to develop a little more and kind of yeah I would say shine so to speak, and that's kind of what brought Salisbury attention to me. Salisbury and coach Jones was one of the uh the only organizations to to look at me for track and field and they sent letters. As well as many other schools as well, but it just didn't really click, so to speak. And the letters that they kind of send you are the ones that are just showing, you know, minimal interest. They're not really like, hey, we want you to come and see our school and hey, run for us or play basketball, or whatever. It was kind of like, hey, if you want to run track and field and get an education, then you know, by all means, come to our school. We can definitely use, it, um, use you. And so for me, I was looking more so around for schools around the Maryland area. I wanted to stay close to family. I wanted to kind of still be involved in that lifestyle that I grew up in. And so Salisbury was also a great choice for me. I knew a lot of people who were going there. My best friend also went to that school. We were roommates our freshman year. So everything kind of uh, ended up working out well, I would say, and kind of brought me towards that school in the first place.
0: Mm -hmm. So did you know about D3 before you stepped on campus, kind of what it was all about? Or did everything kind of just fit everything you wanted? Like you could run there, you could have strong academics and your your friends were there and it was close to home. Was D3 a part of your mentality at all?
1: I would say yes and go, so to speak. Going into, um, looking at different colleges, sports was definitely not at the front of my mind. And being aware of the D3 atmosphere, I didn't really have a complete idea of how Division 3 athletics ran and how the lifestyle was. But I also knew from the get-go, basically, that Division 1 and 2 was not really an option for me. Being a, a stat guy, a numbers guy, I was always looking at my times and comparing them to other people who, who just graduated high school and just became a freshman at a prestigious Division one university, for example. So I was always kind of comparing myself and see uh, what the possibilities were. And it ended up, you know, <laughs> me basically realizing that I wasn't going to go to these uh, top schools. But for me, that was okay. And it was some really something that I dreamed about. It wasn't something that I needed to have uh, necessarily. So when I went to Salisbury and kind of got the whole spiel from Coach Jones, that's kind of when you know I thought about the bigger picture and things that I can do that interest me, but also at the same time you know lead me on a good path and you know give me more doors, so to speak, at the end of my career. Not that I have to necessarily you know either make sports uh, my career and just have nothing afterwards, but to have something that I can always fall back on. Always have career paths available to me when, um, if I theoretically didn't want to do track and field anymore. Um, so that was big for me. And at that time, I had have to admit that I also wasn't thinking about going pro or anything like that. I just kind of wanted to have a good time, um, really give them my all in sports. And I think that's just something that came naturally to me. I always wanted to win and be the best. So it kind of worked out in all facets, so to speak. And then.
0: Yeah. And you've mentioned Coach Jones uh, a couple of times and he, from what i gathered saw something special in you almost immediately even though you said when he was recruiting you it was kind of those minimal interest letters but you stepped on campus and he from the very beginning believed in you and i'm i'm just curious how that was able to instill the confidence and eventually lead to the college career and ultimately pro career that you've you've had
1: when i talk about coach jones i think about coach jones, i think of him as just you know the ultimate person and someone who just fit me personally, who fit um, kind of who I was or who I am and my lifestyle. and It was someone that uh, who I always cherished. I think it just kind of clicked from the start and him being interested in me kind of gave me that, that security and fire that I was able to kind of take along with me as I got better in track and field. Coach Jones is definitely a knowledgeable coach uh, in many facets. Um, he was earlier involved in steeplechase when he was a college athlete uh, himself. But this goes to show you outside of that, he's able to, to know so many things. He's learned so many things along the way. And I think just the way he coached and just kind of, yeah, you know, how we meshed together, I think it really just worked out for the best of us without us truly really even trying until, yeah, until things start to get really you know, heat up, so to speak. So after my freshman year outdoor season, when I won my first national championship, that's kind of when the light bulb started flicking on, you know, us getting these ideas and me thinking about, you know, a life after sports and, you know, the possibilities of what I'm able to achieve. So coach Jones was always there kind of side by side and kind of seeing the picture that I was seeing, was able to really facilitate that in the right direction in the direction that I needed to without being so over encompassing or, you know, too bearing, um, he was always understandable. He always kind of, yeah, he always understood my situation and the things that I was going through. And I, I think it's kind of put out perfectly, I think he did everything right.
0: Yeah. And it just trust is the importance of having the right people around you. That's something that is kind of a theme that comes up with these interviews I've been having is just, you were a little lucky because you didn't really know what you were getting yourself into, I guess, but it turned out to be the best situation for you. And I'm just, I mean, I'm curious, would you, would you agree with that? It's just kind of the environment that you find yourself in as an athlete is kind of the most important thing, whether or not it's Division three, division two, division one, just having the right people.
1: Oh, most definitely. Even going through college, there's a lot of stories, hearing a lot of things, and seeing a lot of things online through social media. You have a really good athlete, and for some reason or another, it just doesn't end up clicking. This is also in the area of Division one. You have a lot of great athletes who, for example, go to Alabama or Oregon or something like that. They just, you know, it's not the right environment for them. And eventually they have to end up transferring schools somewhere else because it just didn't kind of fit their needs and, you know, fit the type of person that they are. And I think that's very important. I think depending on um, the atmosphere and the, the school that you land up at, it can really, you know, lead to either success or failure. And I think what's probably the most important thing between an athlete and a coach is having that that understanding basically between uh, the two parties and knowing what you want out of the sport and, you know, how well you're able to commit yourself and how far you're able to go. Push yourself, so to speak, and your coach also needs to understand, you know, from your side and where you're coming from. I think that was really well because we we're able to always communicate with one another, uh, and that kind of helped the whole situation. Me feeling at home and feeling that Salisbury was the right choice for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, advancing a little bit here, you brought up your first national championship, which was in the 110 meter hurdles, right your freshman year. Probably unexpected, right? <laughs> I can't imagine that you're like, oh, I'm going to come in seated tenth and and win. Did that just set the trajectory for the rest of your career? Or did you become more focused on athletics after that?
1: Most definitely. Um, you're
0: absolutely right.
1: Um, you know, going into, it, I didn't really think that I was going to win. You know, I wanted to get all American, and that was um, the goal for me because that was, you know, kind of building up the indoor. We were just trying to, you know, stay realistic about the whole situation, and I would consider myself a realist. Anyway, so going into it, I knew there was always a chance to win, but going into the final, the the semifinals, I I didn't have the best of starts and I kind of made some errors over the hurdles in the 110. But going into the final, uh, me and my coach also talked about that and he basically said at nationals, anything is really able to happen, anything can happen in these types of situations. It was important for me to stick to, to what I know, to what I do, and to kind of just focus on me. And not everyone else, because he told me, even before, he told me, I think every single day that I was at, um, that I was there at the, I think was it was Illinois, it's been so far, I think it was Wisconsin, actually. I think so. It's been a long time ago. And the days leading up, he was just telling me that in these types of situations, because he's been to the national meeting time after time again, and there's always people, you know, the people who are favored to win, they always mess up for any any type of excuse, but I think mostly it's because they don't really focus on themselves and, you know, the race that they need to do. Probably in particular more with, you know, 100-meter and 110-meter hurdles. But yeah, going into it, I just wanted to do just that and luckily I was able to win. And I really do think that kind of, you know, sets the momentum because then it really gave me that self-confidence that I think that's something that you don't really get unless you're in a situation um like I was, where you're able to win a national championship, and then so to speak, just this confidence and this belief that you're able to really achieve anything and that you've already kind of, you know, hit the mountaintop uh, in your first year. So I think, yeah, I think after that, the the pressure was definitely off. You know, something I didn't really have to focus on anymore. I could just, you know, do my thing and run how I want to run and train how I want to train without thinking like, uh, you know, it would be so nice to win the national championship because it was always something that I was able to do.
0: That's really interesting that you say that because I would think the opposite would go through your head when you win the national championship is like everyone's first instinct is I got to top this or I got to repeat or just something along those lines, you know? And I would assume there would be more pressure coming forward, but it sounds like you, like you said, we're focusing on yourself.
1: Yeah. You can call it a defense mechanism. You could say, you know, I was, I was tired of of winning, you know, I would welcome any chance to lose to kind of get that. But now, yeah, I think, It's an interesting mindset. I will will give you that. But it's something that, you know, really worked for me. And I also see that as one of the most important things besides, you know, putting the work physically, you know, in the weight room or on the track is having, um, you know, strong mental strength. And I think there's a lot of ways to be able to achieve that. But one of the things that you have to do is to make sure that you go into every competition, knowing that you're able, able to win. Let's put it that way. That you're able to go in, you know, no matter who it is, even if it's, you know, in the semifinals of the World Championships and you have Carson Warhol directly in the way next to it, you always have to go in thinking that you're able to win no matter the circumstances. And I think that was really kind of what I took into every race. And it doesn't matter if it was conference championships or the national media, any race, I was
0: thinking I was going to beat you. Is, is that something that you were able to work on or was it just very natural for you?
1: I would say more natural, just given my success in the races before I really adopted this mentality, and I think afterwards it was more easy for me to kind of believe this mindset and to take it over and really, you know, manifest it so to speak. I think it, it can almost backfire and work against you if you're trying to believe something that you don't wholeheartedly believe. So I think in this case it was more so believe it to the to the last breath, one hundred percent that you know in this case that I was able to. You know, run against anyone and be able
0: to win. Mm-hmm. And just from my own experience, that was something that I really struggled with after after college was just believing that I could step on the court and and have the opportunity to beat anyone that I was playing. And I'm guessing that's probably why you've had so much success post college is that you carry that with you. And I mean, that's just great advice for anyone doing anything.
1: Exactly. If you're listening, always think that you can reach the highest highest amount of people you can achieve anything
0: yeah okay so you go on and become an 11-time national champion and i mean did anything change after your freshman year like what what changed in your training were you approaching things more professionally did you when did you set your sights on becoming a pro that's a lot of questions right there but (laughs) you can you can take one at a time if you want no, it's all good. It's all good. I
1: would even say back then, being a pro or becoming a pro really wasn't really on my mind because I was still kind of, honestly, in that but I think this is independent from Division 3. I think it happens Division 2 and Division 1. You kind of want to really experience both sides of you know the college lifestyle and being a student athlete. I think that's something that I kind of held on to definitely in my sophomore year. And it wasn't really until I got to my junior year that... Um, I really kind of shifted over into being truly the best that I could be, and that, you know, that includes diet, so to speak. And at that point in my life, I really had a minimal understanding of what diet means and, you know, how, yeah, you know, basically how to be the healthiest uh, athlete you can be and the strongest athlete. And I think it really took me a while to kind of realize that at first because I was still stuck in the lifestyle that I wanted to go out and, you know, hang with friends and enjoy life, but also, you know, want to focus on my studies. And I think it was this this deadly triangle where you have classes, you have academics, you have going out and you have sleep. So you kinda had to choose between all three. But it's in a reality where you can only choose two to be successful So it's either, you know, get sleep and do well in academics but have a social life. Um but yeah, I really started kind of when I was a junior and I think I always kinda had this mindset, especially when I Came to practices and weightlifting. I was always the one that was wanting to push myself farther and you know give another rep, while bring you be and kind of giving my all on the track every day. And I think that was just something that kind of that I grew up with. That was something that I did for fun as a kid. Whether it was you know playing around or you know doing races on the street for fun, I think it was also just something that was kind of ingrained in me. So I always had the mindset of I would say so to speak, but it really didn't happen until my junior year where I really was thinking you know i don't get any younger so i think it was kind of a compromise with myself if i really actually wanted to be one of the, the faster runners in america or in division three at least then i'd have to start you know making changes to my diet and my sleep cycle and things of that sort
0: yeah was that hard as someone who it was just kind of how i was wired to put my sport before any not before anything else but it was very much what I wanted to do, and it sounds like you made this dramatic shift. Yeah, I I, I don't know how else to phrase it other than was it hard for you, or was that goal of becoming a pro or the best athlete you could be that was just that was motivating for you?
1: Yeah, I think um it wasn't it wasn't too hard, I would say. And like I was saying, I always had this mindset. And I always was the one who wanted to win. You know, I was always the one who's ready to compete and kind of you know show what I, what I was able to do. So I think the change wasn't too hard, especially with diet and stuff like that. Because hey, like I love eating. So when it comes to the food, as long as it tastes good, I'm able to even make compromises on you know this type of stuff, like, type of things that I put in my body. So but that was also just the price that I, I wanted to pay because I wanted to be the best. And I think that was for me one of the most satisfying things that I that I could achieve or that I could work towards. And I think there was something that also simultaneously made me feel better because. I don't have a good comparison in my head, but I think just you know, it's one of those things where you put so much time and effort into it and to really see the end result in you really accomplishing your goals and reaching that end goal that I could do, especially since up to this point I've given a total of seven years towards, you know, making my first MF team, so to speak, you know, being in college. It wasn't always on my mind, but even these last three years definitely you definitely noticed that it's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time to work towards one goal, especially when it only comes in four years. So I, I think that's definitely has been the plus and the advantage for me is kind of that I had more time to kind of grow into my body now. And I think even now I feel like I still I still got some growing to do. Yeah.
0: I mean definitely a lot of sacrifice. Something that struck me was when you did decide to turn pro, is you really took your time and, and weighed your options, right? You had the option to maybe race for the US team or the German team, and you were trying to decide what was best for you. And you ended up taking a year and working part-time. Is that right?
1: Right, exactly. Um, so during that time, since I knew I wanted to go pro at that point, the, the biggest thing for me was to, to sign up with an agent or to find an agent and to kind of take those first steps going forward because transitioning even into being a professional athlete and coming from Division three, it was definitely kind of a detour. You know, something that I didn't have the luxury of really experience is, you know, what a Division One athlete goes to. It's usually if you're in the top, you know, the top one or two percent of uh, Division One track athletes who, you know, make it out, decide they want to go pro. They usually sign with the agent almost initially or, you know, rather quickly after, you know, they you know make that commitment to running professionally and no longer for the universities. And from then, I feel like the, the agents kind of really take over. Much of the, the the business side of it, so to speak, and collaborating with other people and making sure that you're set financially, or that if you're able to get a sponsorship here or there, the kind of help with gear and stuff like that. So with track and field, if you're not like Christian Coleman or any of the the top athletes, uh, the money definitely trickles down, but at a slower rate. So it's more of a it's more of an initiative to look for, you know, different side offers and gigs that you're able, able to do at the beginning, just to kind of get your feet off the ground. For me, I was luckily I was able to get an agent relatively at the start of two thousand sixteen or after I graduated, and from that point forward, it was kind of a waiting game seeing if I was able to find you know a good training facility that I was able to find a coach, I was able to find teammates, and um, just housing the whole situation and how I was going to basically fund myself after that financially, and that's why I definitely I stuck with uh, Salisbury for the first year just to kind of see what my options were. You know, if I was able to move anywhere, if I was able to, uh, you know, make the dash towards Germany or if I was able to stay in the U.S. And that was all really just kind of, you know, where I was able to be supported and who wanted me to, you know, kind of represent them more or less. Luckily, I was able to, my agent, like I said, did a lot of the work and was able to get me with. First, actually, it was in in Texas where I met with um, a coach, Coach Woodson. Um, and this was around Vandenberg, Texas. So I kind of had like a short stint in Texas around March, um, between March and April. And I was also kind of see if I liked the environment and see if it was right for me, if I was able to train there and flourish. And after that, I basically also had a meeting in Germany with a couple of coaches from the clubs. And at the end of that trip, I actually uh, met with my current coach right now, Coach Beck. And that kind of you know from then on the rest is history that's kind of you know i knew right then and there that that was the right decision for me because you know he was also basically a sponsor of the the running club and talk Frankfurt. and in between that i was able to be well supported and kind of you know and I, I knew that i was able to make my dream possible if i was able to to make the journey
0: mm-hmm. and coach beck is a former gold medalist right Exactly. And I did even know that at first, you know, we were talking
1: to Carl one day and he lightly mentions it because I think we were already on the topic of the Olympic Games. And he kind of lightly mentions that, you know, he won the 400 hurdles. And I was like, wait, hold on, you, you won the 400 hurdles? And I, that was also my bad. I kind of shamed myself over it because I should have done my research. I should have, you know, seen who he was and, you know, what he was involved with. But to know that and to see his video afterwards was pretty surreal and even then that was you know that was when i knew for sure that that was the right decision because i think with someone like him he just has so much experience and there's so much that i can learn from him and him being from you know from east germany he's definitely old school it's definitely um has a knowledge that they had back then um which i think was partly why they were so successful
0: can you talk a little bit more about what you've learned from coach beck about just being a professional athlete versus a collegiate athlete have you taken big things away from him
1: at least some of the big things that i take away from coach beck is more so about trusting yourself and trusting your body i think as a professional athlete you have more freedom so to speak because you're not on campus um first of all in a university and you don't really have like a, a certain schedule so to speak besides training if that's your main source of income in college it's kind of you know It's it's split apart between, you know, going to the cafeteria, going to classes, going to uh, your internship, you know, and afterwards studying. You kind of have to break your day down. And with here, I think it's more of a responsibility, so to speak, if you want to be a professional athlete, because you definitely have your uh, specific a lot of time with the coach and, you know, going to training sessions every day and going here and there for training camps and, and stuff like that. But you also kind of have to tell yourself, you know, it's like it's your job now. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is the fact that you're kind of on your own, so to speak. And the things that you have to do, they're not being really supervised by multiple people like it is in university. And you kind of, in university, you hold yourself accountable. You kind of hold your teammates, you you hold your friends accountable, you know, for just, you know, doing the right things in their life and being able to, you know, function in everyday society well. I think as a professional athlete, you have to take more time to do the things that you probably wouldn't do if someone was watching you in that moment. As far as like uh, exercises go, maybe there's something to do at home. As far as stretching or you know drinking enough water, so it's really the little things. But I think it's also it makes it a lot more rewarding when you're able to kind of really put everything into into your craft and making sure that you know you're doing it. You have to tell yourself to do it, and no one's going to tell you otherwise. You know, it's really your decision if you want to. Make ever go professional
0: or not? Mm-hmm. I guess two two follow up questions to that. You mentioned early on about being a very big stats guy, and I'm curious if that's carried over to kind of your your recovery and and your stretching routine and just overall health. And I guess the second part of that question is, do you like being a professional athlete? It's a very interesting lifestyle, and I don't think everyone understands that. It's it's not really for everyone. <laughs>
1: that's that's very true. It's definitely not for. Everybody. It comes with its, uh, with its ups and downs, but I think all in all, it's definitely um, it's definitely been a blessing. It's definitely something that I'm glad that I was able to do at least, even up to this point. Even if I was never to able or was never able to run again, I would definitely be thankful for the time that I had and just the experiences and the stadiums that you know that I've ran in and, and the people that I've gotten to meet. It's really been um, a humbling experience. As far as the stats go, I'm always a stat guy. I always look for calories, I always look for the grams of fat, carbohydrates, uh with different food products so to speak. With stretching, it's always thirty minutes or twenty to thirty seconds for static stretching. Um those are just kind of the little things that have always worked for me for being such a you know a crazy stat guy from the beginning. And it's something that kind of always worked well for me. And I never really had to, to second guess like, oh maybe I should stretch for fifteen seconds shorter or, or longer. It kind of you know, got incorporated as I continued to be successful in the hurdles. So I kind of carried that over. And it's something, basically, if it's not broke, then don't fix it. But I'm very conscious about numbers and conscious, uh, even up to how much I weigh on a particular day, even if it's, you know, 0.5 kilograms over uh, my limit. So I'm always, I'm always subconscious about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, for your sport, everything matters, every little detail. Okay, so I have to ask a question about stretching because I hold stretches for a minute. Is there science saying like 20 to 30 is is better or at a certain point does it not matter? 20 to 30 seconds was
1: typically the the sweet spot where you're not overstretching the muscles. So you're still preparing your muscles. For example, if you're doing it before, maybe a couple hours before your training session, then it's good to kind of loosen the muscles up, but also have, or allowing the, the muscles to have enough elasticity. So it's able to generate the power that it needs in a specific sport Art as far as a minute, I'm not sure, but on days where I don't have any running or any training to do, then I also will stretch for a minute. I also do yoga in the meantime. So I will try to, you know, touch on to these like different, uh, you know, training methods. And I think that's also something that comes with being a professional athlete before in college. I'd tell you, there was times where, you know, I didn't stretch at all. Just because, you know, I was kind of ignorant. I mean, you know, it was also probably because I didn't really feel like stretching. But back then, you don't really realize how important these things are until you get to the top level. And then you realize, like, everybody's stretching. So, like, oh, I should start stretching more. And everybody's, you know, doing this, so i need going to do that. So as you make your way to the top, there's basically more roadblocks. And there's more of a specific path that you kind of have to follow or, like, a specific guideline that is really the reason why so many athletes or the top athletes, you know, are the top athletes and are in this uh, specific bracket.
0: Yeah. Again, every little thing matters. And that was something I noticed too. Like I was not good at stretching in college. And then as soon as I started playing professional events, I was like, oh, everyone around me is like doing their warm up properly. They're stretching, right? (laughs) There must be something to this that I, I just have been missing. And I don't know if it helped my performance, but I didn't have like too many serious injuries, so I can't complain.
1: That's that's the one positive thing. That's the one positive thing you can take away from that. Well, even if you have like a you know a bad set, bad race, well at least I didn't get injured. This is the number one takeaway every time you don't win. At least I didn't get injured.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I want to zoom in on your progression as an athlete. So in college, your your best time was fifty thirty six, and you've shaved like a almost a second and a half off of that. Yeah, definitely over a second, about 1.2. How have you been able to do that? It's
1: a good question, because I think day in and day out, it's something that you don't really realize um, as far as progress goes. It kind of just happens. In my case, it's, it kind of almost happens all oh, at once. One day you realize, or maybe you do um, some testing and then you get the new results and realize, oh, you know, oh, now I'm faster. And this is, as an example, if I was to, to run a thirty meter uh sprint, or maybe like a thirty meter flying sprint in the early in the early days of March and then come around in uh two months or three months after doing a lot of sprint training and see that my thirty time is, you know, I don't know, maybe like point two seconds faster, which is very unrealistic, but just as an example. But yeah, it's just it's one of those things that you don't realize day in and day out, but it's as a lot of people will mention is really trusting the process and knowing that day in and day out that maybe not every day is the most successful day or you might not feel that you're able to run as fast or as long as you're able to or to to lift the amount of weight that you maybe lift the week before but I think it's all gradual and it's something that as an athlete that you shouldn't really pay too much attention to day in and day out I think that also goes for for diet and what you eat I don't think it necessarily has to be 100% clean all the time I think as a little bit of a mental break. It's good to you know give yourself the things that you used to eat they give you pleasure and joy, the things that just taste good. I think it's also you know really good for your mental strength and just you know that you're able to come down in one way or another.
0: Yeah. So I guess zeroing in on that mental strength component is that something you work on daily? I, I feel like it's very important for what you do. Being locked in, are you meditating or is it just through resilience, through the discipline that you practice, through diet that you Kind of, it just kind of culminates.
1: Yeah, I could, honestly, it's something I don't really do much training on. I think that has partly to do with me just being a realist. Uh, I think I'm really honest with myself, and that's as far as me. I think it's really important that you're honest with yourself and you're not giving too much hope in situations where you're not gonna, you know, get the result that you want. I know it's unrealistic, unrealistic really for me to say that by my next race that I'm going to run 46 or 47. You know, these things come with time, and I think that's also just. Comes with bettering yourself. That not everything happens overnight. That you're able, like I said, is to trust the process and kind of stick to to what you know and what you've done day in and day out. Then at some point, hopefully, the times are going to come. And just for me, being being that realist that I am, I think it's also it requires you to really be honest with yourself. And even if you're battling injuries or if on days you're not feeling as strong, I think it's good that you don't make excuses for yourself and you're able, maybe not every time pinpoint the actual problem and you, you, basically why you're not uh, you know, achieving the, the times that you want on a certain day, for example. But I think it's also, yeah, you just have to really be honest with yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and realize what you're capable of in that time and just trust that you'll be you'll be faster um,
0: at one point or another. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of following that realist line a little bit, we zoomed over your your move to Germany, which for you was a very – big move having grown up in maryland and stayed there for college what was what was that move like for you the first few months there did you go in with the mentality like i'm just gonna have to get settled in or did you kind of just take off immediately
1: i definitely had a lot of deciding before i moved to germany it was definitely it was really hard for me i had a lot of a lot of uh, tears tears spent over it i definitely am a big family guy It just the uh, the fact that you know i was about to go across the waters from so many so many loved ones, so many friends, so much family. Um, it was definitely hard for me at first. And I think in those types of situations, you're not really able to kind of prepare the way you need to prepare. Because for me, it was something that was completely new. And in the end, I've more or less kind of jumped into it. Because at that point, um, the season was about to get underway. the way. Um, So when I moved to Germany, I didn't move to Germany until the fall of 2017. But in that spring, I was already um, in Germany, staying there in basically like a um, like a student athlete accommodation for athletes who are out of high school but have not made the transition to completely pro, or maybe athletes who have just left high school or who are also studying um, simultaneously. But these these accommodations, these uh these rooms were not on campus. So it's not really like a campus student lifestyle, so to speak. So coming over for the the spring to the fall, I was already in Germany and was kind of uh, staying in these tiny little dorm rooms, trying to make the best of it. So it kind of went from, you know, realizing that I have to leave all my loved ones and family in the U.S. to going into this tiny dorm room and basically only communicating with my, you know, with my team every day and afterwards going back to, to the dorm room and looking looking for what I was going to do for the rest of the day. Cause it was kind of a, a closed off lifestyle because at that point also I didn't have wifi. Um, I wasn't really kind of the, the access anyone. So thank God there was a, uh, a hotel nearby and every day I would go there and access the free wifi just so I could have, you know, touch with the outside world. I was still on my American phone and it was also really bad wifi. So the first, uh, I would say for the whole season, it really was a hard adjustment.
0: Yeah. That's a kind of a tough situation to fall into, but at the same time, you're you're very much unknown. So were you able to kind of, a lot of the time there's a little bit of, I, I ran D3 or people look at you like you ran D3. Was that a big factor in your move or is it just kind of your, your time is your time and no one cares beyond that?
1: Yeah, I think at that point, even going back to my mindset and thinking of, you know, what I'm able to do and what I was going to do if I was to, to race against somebody. I think it for me, it was more or less um, not really a big topic if people thought that I was from D3. And I think coming from from America, that was more so of the big point that people really thought of. Uh, it was not that I ran Division 3, but more so that I was from America, that I ran at a university, and then now I came to Germany. I didn't think that was one of the big talking points for me. But as far as D3, I knew at that point, if I was able to kind of make that transition into the professional lifestyle and at that point I'm basically on the same level as everyone else. So as far as, you know, underlying factors it could be anything from, you know, genetics or just an early start or doing sports or having a better adaptation to certain training methods. I feel like at that point we're almost you know, there's also outliers, I would say. But we're all kind of at the same level, and it really depends on what you're able to do in on the training, in the training area, and the weight room, and outside when no one's looking. So I think that was, you know, one of the big things uh, that can take away even from being D three and transitioning to the professional lifestyle.
0: So you've been a you've been a pro now, I guess technically three years, even though you graduated four re- years ago, right?
1: No, yep, exactly.
0: What's been like the most special memory for you? of of your time racing and ultimately your your goal is to make the Tokyo twenty twenty one Olympics, but I can imagine there's been some pretty cool moments for you. What kind of stands out?
1: There's been a lot of moments. Now that I look back on it, I could say my first diamond league meeting in Lausanne, that was uh particularly big for me. The Olympic Stadium in Berlin with the uh the European Championships, that was also really huge. I think the stadium holds up to maybe eighty thousand or ninety thousand people. So it wasn't completely packed, but there was also enough to kind of hear the distributed the rumble as I was coming on the last, the last curve for the 400 hills. So these are definitely um, really cool moments that I always think about, just the places that I've been and was able to see on um, the different countries that I never thought I would you know end up visiting. Going to Spain, for example, Switzerland, for all these, you know, whether it were small meetings or big meetings, I think they all had their, their special place, so to speak, in my heart.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, so I usually end with three questions and if something comes up that we're like, oh, let's let's keep going, then we'll we'll work with that. But we I feel like this is a, a good place to uh maybe wrap up a little bit. So my first question as a fellow food lover is what unhealthy food would you turn into a superfood?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I would say something along the lines of pizza. I don't know how I'd make it to a superfood. But definitely starting with the crust, you know, make the breading, everything vegan, gluten-free. The cheese would also have to be vegan, vegan cheese. But this is only in dire situations. I don't think I would ever, you know, go to that point where I would uh, substitute regular pizza dough for vegan pizza dough. But maybe I just haven't had the right vegan pizza yet.
0: Yeah, I've actually tried. I don't know if you can get it there, but Dea has some, some good ones. I try not to eat the super processed stuff too often, but. If I'm going to, I, I kind of go that way.
1: I have to definitely check it out. You have to send me something because actually, at some point too, I turned you know, vegetarian, so to speak. There was a little stint in my life. And this is probably up to a couple of months ago where I was completely uh, vegetarian. I was eating, I was eating any type of meat for, I'd say, a couple of months, and I loved the results. But I also kind of, you know, did more research and wanted to really make sure that I was going into this right, and I feel like it was you know, such a big sacrifice for me to always find carbohydrate and protein substitutes. So in the beginning, I was only eating like tofu, you know, beans for the protein as well, you know, different cheeses and stuff like that. Um, But at some point, I just kind of realized in my situation, if I want to, you know, play it smart at least, then it'd be best to eat meat. So so I kind of eat meat every now and then. I wouldn't say I'm a full-on omnivore, but I also wouldn't say that I'm only eating, you know, Veggies and fruits and things about nature. I do like to have some meat every once in a while. Also, when it's in the form of a big juicy burger. But uh, usually, kind of you know, stay away from that stuff now.
0: Yeah, it's it's super complicated. Like I, I dabbled with a little bit of the vegetarian lifestyle, but I honestly didn't feel very different. So I was like, other than the ethics approach, I didn't see much use in it. It's it's a very complicated topic. It
1: is and. I have a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people here, uh, in Germany, in Frankfurt especially, are vegan. And I won't say that, uh, the, they're in your face, but they're very, they're really proud and they're very, they have really strong views about it as far as, um, the suffering of animals and things of that nature. So I always kind of shame myself when I go to the meat aisle in the local supermarket and buy some chicken or stuff like that. Cause, you know, it does make sense as far as, in my opinion, you know, from an ethics standpoint, but it's also something, you know, in my situation, it would be hard to kind of, you know, deny myself of all, all of me if I want to really, you know, be serious about giving my body the, you know, what it needs. So sadly, it's, it's not for me. I tried it. Yeah, I suffered a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, it also didn't really make a big difference. It wasn't where I woke up one day and just noticed that I had a thousand times more energy. It just kind of more so, I just felt right, you know, you kind of felt more green, you felt more fit. But as far as actual physical, you know, differences, I couldn't really tell you that you know, it made me a better athlete or a worse athlete.
0: Yeah, you just got to keep playing around. So I appreciate your your curiosity and in, in experimentation. I'm always happy
1: to be the test subject.
0: So what do you have? What do you have coming up? How's quarantine been for you and training through that? I think I saw you competed in June. Maybe was that right?
1: Unfortunately, um, it could have, well, the only um, competition I had this year was at the beginning of, it could have been June, it also may have been May, but it was at the, our local track where I practice. Um, we usually don't have any types of meetings there, but it was kind of a test with the other people to see, you know, kind of where we're at as far as speed goes. And that was my only one, unfortunately, because I ended up being injured. I had some, some problems with edema. With an edema build up that kind of basically took me out the whole season and was the issue last year as well going into the world championships. I, it was something that I had for pretty much the entire second half of the season, so it was definitely something that you know kind of gave me a scare for a second because I it was one of those things where you just need a lot of rest, it's something that you can't really um, train through. So there was uh, a couple of weeks in June where I was even biking the whole time, I was doing air bike. I was doing a lot of core exercises, but I really couldn't, you know, walk or even stand on my foot. So that was a tough time for me. But as far as that, um, I think it was also kind of necessary to, you know, sit back and let my body regenerate, and kind of push it any further, because that was really the problem last year when I got the the edema built up in. I think that was also May or June, and we kind of just pushed through it because the whole season was very really important, and the World Championships were also right around the corner. So it was one of those things where you know you're kind of playing with fire you want to you know you want to give it your all and train to the best of your ability even if it's kind of moderated a little bit but you also you know, have to think about your health and if it's eventually going to turn into like a stress fracture and that was my biggest problem which is you know back and forth we go hard for two days and then we would you know take a couple three like three days uh the rest maybe just spiking the whole time so it's always kind of uh, playing with fire, so to speak, if I was, good, if I was able to go on for the, uh, the next weekend or something like
0: that. Man, that's that's rough. I'm glad you you got over that, though, right? It looks like it. looks like it.
1: I got another MRI coming up to see if it's completely gone, but it's been about eight weeks um, since I last ran, so I hope it's gone by now. It's definitely a lot of time to be off the So uh, The season starts actually in two weeks again, so okay. I'll have to start putting a weight on it eventually. So I'm right now, I'm just kind of enjoying the time. I'm
0: yeah, yeah. How have you been, been? spending it when you're not doing uh, your core work and your biking?
1: It's also tough too because that kind of limits to what I'm able to do outside in the city, which is good. Uh, it's it's kind of bad to say, but I think this whole Corona situation kind of saving, so to speak. But it's also kind of the butterfly effect. You know, if you know if Corona wasn't happening, who says that I would be able to, or that would have been training as hard as I would have? But uh, I think most of the days when, you know, if I'm really trying to rest it, then I have to, that's the one bad thing. That's the disadvantage about being a professional athlete is when you have the injury, the smartest thing is to do it. And as they always tell you this is to rise it. So, you know, rest it, uh, put ice on the compression elevation. And that's really what I've been doing since, um, I got injured. It's been a very depressing and boring lifestyle for me, but it's also, um, very necessary that I'm a hundred percent going back into it. Cause I tell you, this last, uh, this last year coming up until we're going into June the, for the initial date of the Olympic Games. So it definitely was, um, you yeah, know, a quick period of time. It definitely came around the corner quicker than I imagined. So I always trying to kind of put myself in that situation of if I still had the injury and how screwed I would have been. So it's definitely a better, a t- uh, better tip there. Just, uh, yeah, just to relax and do nothing and kind of enjoy the, the peace and quiet before it ramps up again.
0: Yeah, things are going to get pretty intense pretty quick assuming that things kind of go back to normal hopefully soon. Obviously your goal is to be in Tokyo 2021. Are you going to change a- anything in your approach between now and then to what you've been doing or is it just kind of a little bit better every day and ride your ride your lane?
1: I think exactly just um to take every day take take it day by day and really I think it's really important to kind of look back this year and um to kind of realize uh and take a note of what i've done right and what i've done wrong as far as being an athlete and there's times um even unrelated to the injury where i would say you know i should have done this for this day, or you know maybe i should have uh done this you know maybe i should have ran more smartly or maybe i should have ran more harder or, or maybe stretched a little bit longer or done the stretches that maybe didn't really give a lot of effort to and i think those are also things that i need to pay attention to Uh, going into this really big year for me because I think it's important that I leave everything on the table. And and for me personally, I think if I really want to be satisfied with my performance, if it's, you know, 52 seconds or 47 seconds, I think I have to give myself almost the benefit uh, of the doubt. I have to give everything on the table so I can walk away and say that, you know, I did everything that I was able to. This is the time that I got. And it's different when it comes to the competitions and stuff sometimes it doesn't always equate to what you put in a training but just to have that that thought I think mentally so that I'm able to kind of walk away at the end of the day knowing that you know I was able to do all that I was able to do
0: yeah you've talked about a lot of good stuff and I appreciate that but I'm looking for maybe one or two pieces of advice you would have for d3 athletes that are looking to turn pro
1: I think my best advice and I can say this with One hundred percent belief is to really enjoy it, not just to enjoy it, but to really, you know, give the time to make yourself uh, become better. And I think a lot of people, when they get into division three sports, division two, even division one, they kind of think that everything is kind of handed to them and everything is secured, everything's insured, and that the work that they have to put in is minimal compared to what others are able or what others put in day in day out. And I think that's. One of the biggest, maybe, differences I would say between Division 3 and Division 1 is, you know, the people, when they get to their, their destination, regardless of the vision, to a certain point, I think there's people who really want it and people who only really kind of want it or people who want to separate that commitment with something else. And I think, like anything, it's like playing an instrument or learning how to play an instrument. You have to give yourself the time and the dedication to your craft if you really want to see it flourish and you really want to see the progress. And that's why so many people do it, because at the end, it really gives you that satisfaction. It's really something that's uncomparable. That's something that a lot of people in this world won't be able to achieve. And I think it's a really special thing to have and to be able to work for. It.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think back to my own career and just everything was so enjoyable. It's just what I'd love to do. And at the very end, just reaching those goals that you set from, like you said, you've been gunning for this for seven years and to see it through and like, there and it's good i'm sure it's going to be so surreal and i have so much confidence in you hearing you talk because you just have the the right mindset so all the best man thank you
1: thank you
0: and i'm going to i'm going to end with the question i i usually end with and it is how do you define success oh, success i'm
1: playing successes these are one of these questions that i wish i uh Was able to get like a preview on, you know, look at the look at the script before it. Because it's such an interesting question. I would say for me, success success is relative. Success is personal. It doesn't have to be a you know all encompassing goal that you know everyone's gonna hear about or be able to to live themselves. But I think it can be for anything from waking up this morning and to getting out of bed. And I think there's a lot of goals out there that can lead to success, even if they're very small and minut. are already a part of your everyday life. But I think it's really important that even these small successes be achieved to give us a satisfaction and to make life worth it and make sure that not everything is unattainable, even if you're only looking at the bigger picture. So success is definitely what you make of it, as cliche as it sounds. But I definitely think it's almost like cliche. You know, it's in the eye of the beholder.
0: Yep, I completely agree. Luke, this has been awesome. Thank you for joining me and all the best. Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed hearing Luke's story, and you can join Luke on his quest for Olympic glory by following him on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Luke You can find us on social media as well at D3 to Pro, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe. We are always looking for great D3 stories to share, so please reach out if there is a story that needs to be told. I'll see you next time on D3 to Pro.